All right, welcome back to it. Tony Katz today with Nation of Jake filling in for Tony. The man of the hour is President Joe Biden in his first news conference of his administration some 65 days. Over two months, this guy has waited, and I believe he has just announced some plans to run for re-election in 2024. He says it will be him who runs for president again. I mean, hell, slow down, Joe. You just had your first news conference uh, just now, and it is ongoing, and we will join it Live in progress here on Tony Katz Today. Higher rate than the average person making a billion dollars a year is. Something's wrong. Their newfound concern. I'm concerned. Look, I meant what I said when I ran, and a lot of you still think I'm wrong, and I respect that. So I'm running for three reasons. To restore the soul, dignity, honor, honesty, transparency to the American political system. Two to rebuild the backbone of this country, the middle class, hardworking people and people struggling in the middle class. They built America, and unions built them. The third reason I said I was running was to unite the country. And generically speaking, all of you said, no, you can't do that. Well, I've not been able to unite the Congress, but I've been uniting the country based on the polling data. We have to come together. We have to. So from my perspective, you know, it's uh, to me, it's, it's about just, you know, getting out there, putting one foot in front of the other and just trying to make things better for people. Just hard working people. People get up every morning and just want to figure out how to put food on the table for their kids, be able to have a little bit of breathing room. Being able to have, make sure that they go to bed, not staring to the ceiling like my dad did, wondering whether, since he didn't have health insurance, what happens if mom gets sick or he got sick? These are basic things. Basic things. And I'm of the view that the vast majority of people, including registered Republicans by and large, share that, 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 same, that same view, that same sense of what is, uh, you know, what's appropriate. Justin, Justin Sink, Bloomberg. Uh, thanks, Mr. President. I wanted to ask about your relationship with China now that you've been on office for a couple months. There's obviously the meeting in Alaska that uh, was a little theatrical and there's the continued human rights abuses. So today, I'm wondering, are you more likely than you were when you came into office to maintain tariffs on China? Are you considering banning imports of forced labor products? And would you consider cutting off U.S. investment or Chinese access to uh, international payment systems? Well, look, they're each specifically legitimate questions. But they only touch a smidgen of what the relationship with China really is about. I've known Xi Jinping for a long time. Allegedly, by the time I left office as vice president, I had spent more time with Xi Jinping than any world leader had. Because President Obama and the Chinese president, who decided we should get to know one another, since it was inappropriate for the President of the United States to spend time with the Vice President of another country. But it was obvious he was going to become the new leader of China. So I spent hours upon hours with him, alone with an interpreter. 
my interpreter and his, going into great detail and very, very straightforward. Doesn't have a Democratic with a small D bone in his body, but he's a smart, smart guy. He's one of the guys like Putin who thinks that autocracy is the wave of the future. Democracy can't function in an ever, an ever complex world. So when I was elected and he called to congratulate me, I think to the surprise of the China experts who were his people on the call as well as mine listening, we had a two-hour conversation for two hours. And we made several things clear to one another. I made it clear to him again, what I've told him in person on several occasions, that we're not looking for confrontation, although we know there will be steep, steep competition. Two, that we'll have strong competition, but we'll insist that China play by the international rules. Fair competition, fair practices, fair trade. Thirdly, in order to compete effectively, I indicated that we're going to deal with China effectively. And we're going to need three things to do that, telling our people. First, we're going to invest in American workers and American science. I said that all through the campaign. I say it again, and we're and I'm setting up my administration to be able to do that, which is that, you know, back in the 60s, we used to invest a little over 2 percent of our entire, entire GDP in pure research and investment in science. Today, it's 0.7 percent. I'm going to change that. We're going to change that. The future lies in who can, in fact, own the future as it relates to technology, quantum computing, a whole range of things, including in the medical fields. And so what I'm going to do is make sure we invest closer to 2 percent. One of the reasons why I've set up the, the PAB, the President's Board with Scientists and the like, again, is uh, we're going to invest in medical research, cancer, Alzheimer's, diabetes, the things, industries of the future, artificial intelligence, quantum computing, biotech, and we're going to make real investments. China is out investing us by a long shot because their plan is to own that future. The third, the second thing we're going to do is we're going to reestablish our alliances, and I've been very clear with them. It's not anti-Chinese. And we've talked about it. I want to make sure that, for example, later today after this, as a matter of fact, shortly after this, um, which is fine, we've been going close to an hour, I'm, I'm happy to I, go longer, but one of the things that I'm going to be doing, I'm going to be speaking with uh, 27 heads of state in Europe, and very shortly, I think within the next hour or so, I don't know the exact time. And uh, earlier this month, and apparently it got the Chinese attention. That's not why I did it. I met with our allies and how we're going to hold China accountable in the region. Australia, India, Japan, and the United States, the so-called Quad. Because we have to have democracies working together. Before too long, I'm going to have, I'm going to invite an alliance of democracies to come here to discuss the future. And so we're going to make it clear that in order to deal with these things, 
we are going to um, hold China accountable to follow the rules, to follow the rules, whether it relates to the South China Sea or the North China Sea or the agreement made on Taiwan or a whole range of other things. And the third thing, and the thing that I, I admire about dealing with Xi is he understands, he makes no, no pretense about not understanding what I'm saying anymore and do him. I pointed out to him, no leader can be sustained in his position or her position unless they represent the values of the country. And I said, as, and uh, Mr. President, as I've told you before, Americans value the notion of freedom. America values human rights. We don't always live up to our expectations, but it's a value system. We are founded on that principle. And as long as you and your country continues to so blatantly violate human rights, we are going to continue in an unrelenting way to call to the attention of the world and make it clear, make it clear what's happening. And he understood that. I made it clear that no American president, at least one did, but no American president ever backed down from speaking out of what's happening to the Uyghurs, what's happening in Hong Kong, what's happening in-country. In, in That's who we are. The moment a president walks away from that, as the last one did, is the moment we begin to lose our legitimacy around the world. It's who we are. So I see stiff competition with China. China has an overall goal, and I don't criticize them for the goal, but they have an overall goal to become the leading country in the world, the wealthiest country in the world, and the most powerful country in the world. That's not going to happen on my watch, because the United States is going to continue to grow and expand. All right, just to follow up on the meeting of democracies, is that where you expect in a multilateral way to make these decisions about uh, sanctions or... or uh... No, that's not where I make the decision. That's where I make sure we're all on the same page. All on the same page. Look, I predict to you, your children or grandchildren are going to be doing their doctoral thesis on the issue of who succeeded, autocracy or democracy? Because that is what is at stake, not just with China. Look around the world. We're in the midst of a fourth industrial revolution of enormous consequence. Will there be middle class? How will people adjust to these significant changes in science and technology, the environment? How will they do that? And our democracy is equipped because all the people get to speak to compete. It is clear, absolutely clear, and most of the scholars I dealt with at Penn agree with me around the country, that this is a battle between the, the utility of democracies in the 21st century and autocracies. If you notice, you don't have Russia talking about communism anymore. It's about an autocracy. Demand decisions made by a leader of a country. That's what's at stake here. We've got to prove democracy works. And Mr. President, sorry. I know you have another chance to address uh, the tragedies in Georgia and 
Colorado, uh, you had said to stay tuned for actions that you might take on gun control. Wondering if you've made a decision either about sending the manufacturer liability bill that you had promised on day one to Capitol Hill, or executive actions like going after ghost guns or giving money to cities and states to, to battle gun control. All the above. It's a matter of timing. As you've all observed, successful presidents better than me have been successful in large part because they know how to time what they're doing. Order it. Decide in priorities what needs to be done. The next major initiative is, and I'll be announcing it Friday in Pittsburgh in detail, is to rebuild the infrastructure, both physical and technological infrastructure of this country, so that we can compete and create significant numbers of really good-paying jobs. Really good-paying jobs. And some of you have been around long enough to know that used to be a great Republican goal and initiative. I still think the majority of the American people don't like the fact that we are now ranked, what, 85th in the world in infrastructure? I mean, look, uh, the future rests on whether or not we have the best airports that can accommodate air travel, ports that you can get in and out of quickly so businesses decide. Some of you, when you're, if you were ever local reporters and you found your governor or mayor trying to attract business to your community, what's the first thing the business asked? What's the closest access, access to an interstate highway? How far am I from a, a freight rail? Is the water, is the water available? Is enough water available for me to conduct my business? All the things that relate to infrastructure. We have somewhere, I, I, I asked the staff to write it down for me, and they did. Uh, I, I, I don't this, know exactly but, what's going on right. here. I'm, I'm hearing a lot of words from Joe Biden. He's not exactly answering the questions as they're being asked. We, we will see if this keeps going. And if it does keep going, we might dip back into it. But there is plenty already to react to. I mean, what do you think? Is this guy all there? Is he knocking it out of the park? Or is this is this just, hey, we asked for boring and we're getting boring. We will dig in as we come back here with Nation of Jake in for Tony Katz on Tony Katz Today. Does anybody know how to call in a silver alert? Is there like a, a short code for this? You go on a website, uh, there's a silver alert out, you know, when your granddad gets out of the house, he's not supposed to be, he's roaming the neighborhood, having flashbacks, you know, that, that kind of thing, the silver alert, because I feel like somebody needs to call in a silver alert on President Joseph Robinette Biden Jr. Uh, the, the guy, I, I'm, I'm listening to him and look. I'm not the kind of guy, Nation of Jake in for Tony Katz on Tony Katz today, who necessarily wants an entertaining president. I don't listen to politics and, and things for entertainment, but I do appreciate direct questions and answers. And if this news conference that we've waited two months for is any indication on future news conferences, all it's going to be is propaganda. All of it. What I heard overall were a bunch of reporters who were Democrat operatives who were doing things like leading off the entire news conference with 
endorsements of eliminating the filibuster so that Joe Biden and the Democrat Party can jam through whatever they want. Uh, Right now, we've got a a couple of senators who are Democrats who are against the fill eliminating the filibuster. You got Joe Manchin of West Virginia and Kirsten Cinema of Arizona. They've gone on record saying, no, we don't want to eliminate the filibuster. That would be bad. And I agree with them. So these reporters, uh, their first questions are about eliminating the filibuster, which Joe Biden as president cannot do. Uh, What they're trying to do is get that into the mainstream, get people talking about it, build up consensus for it, and then have Joe Biden uh, bully these senators into doing it. Uh, What the senators need to understand is they're the ones holding the cards and they have the power. But if you ever heard just softball non-questions, we we call them here in radio. When you do interviews, I was always taught, just ask the question and, and let the subject of the interview answer it. Don't start you yourself filibustering about all the problems of the world and couching the question and shading the question and answering the question yourself and then serve it up to the subject. Be direct on both ends. These reporters need to learn how to ask direct questions without a bunch of context and extra stuff and commentary and opinions. And then the president needs to answer the questions that are asked. They always do this. The reporters will give a a commentary uh, disguised as a question in order to get people thinking about these things. And it's their way of of influencing what they call the news. And of course, you got to expect the politician just to dance around the questions and not answer them directly. The last thing we heard was a young man asked about guns and gun control. and, And Joe Biden starts talking about Infrastructure bills he's going to announce in Pittsburgh next week. Silver alert. Somebody put it out there for President Joe. All right, he is wrapped up. God, thank God. He is wrapped up. We will dissect what Joe was asked and what he answered coming up with Nation of Jake on Tony Katz today. President Joe Biden took two months to give a news conference that lasted three Oh, look, he, he didn't like, you know, just stumble all over himself the whole time. But my God, like maybe maybe this was a calculated move on part of Joe Biden because you put us through an hour of that. The people are never going to want to see you in that press conference room again. It's Nation of Jake in for Tony Katz on Tony Katz today. Listen, don't blame me for what you just heard from Joe Biden. Blame Tony Katz. All right, Tony Katz called me. As I recounted at the top of the show, it says, Jake, usually I don't give you any direction on what you do with my program. And I do appreciate that. He said, but I promised everybody we would hear from Joe Biden in his news conference. So I need you to carry the news conference uh, as much as you can to deliver on that promise. And boy, did we deliver. We delivered you. Uh, Joe Biden, who, by the way, you know, I think he was... Largely referring to a script. Uh, Ari Fleischer on Twitter said that he had a, a a lot of notes, like a packet, that he was referencing each time. So he was largely uh, prepared, which is good, but he was he was using it as a crutch. Uh, those notes that he had it kind of points to it being scripted. He would also uh, fumble around and look at his card when he was calling on reporters. 
So he knew who to call on. So I guess he could get some uh, friendly uh, reporters uh, questions in there. So he didn't get uh, too many uh, hardball questions. He, he really didn't get any at all. He, he got a lot of support for what may be coming down the pike. Look, I what, what I heard was a guy who very little is expected. I, I don't I don't think anybody expects Joe Biden to to change the world to do the things that he talked about. He wants to restore honesty and transparency to political institutions. Ha! Those things don't exist in politics in 2021 if they ever have. Uh, he wants to rebuild the middle class. He wants to unite the country. I mean, speaking in platitudes is what he is doing. Now, we want to know what specifically you're going to do about the problems facing the country today. That's what we want to know. But instead, it's all about platitudes, uh, mischaracterizing uh, the the uh, successes and failures of your predecessor, which they all do that. They all do that. President Trump did that. President Obama got elected on that, not being Bush. How long did President Obama say things were Bush's fault? And of course, Donald Trump did the same thing with all oh, that was Obama and Obama's fault. And now Donald Trump's doing the same thing. Can't really fault him for that because all presidents do it. But from the top, and, and I, I reiterate this because it is something that uh, really grinds my gears, so to speak. It's just the way these things are run. You've got these reporters aren't even asking questions. They, they might as well walk up to President Biden and hand him a script and say, oh, will you please say this? It's always like, talk about, that's the worst thing in the world. Whenever anybody in the media says, oh, do you have a question? Sure. Well, will you just talk a little bit about X? I'm like, no, I'm just going to talk about it. If you have a question, ask it. But the, all these questions are always set up with some sort of long explanation. You know, you've got a Yamichi Alcindor from PBS. You know, she's... She's uh, opining on these laws that are being passed by Republican legislatures, say in the state of Georgia, where I live, and she's characterizing them as infringing on voting rights, which is not true. None of these uh, bills are infringing on voting rights. They are setting guidelines for how people in a certain state will vote. And then he she she wants to encourage or at least ask Joe Biden, where are you on eliminating the filibuster? Do you think that the average middle class people that Joe Biden talks about helping. Oh, well, I want good things for the middle class. You know, hardworking Americans. People go out, put food on the table, you know, not not have to worry about not having health insurance. Do you think that in the front of their mind, in the first news conference of the Joe Biden administration, do you think that those people are worried about Senate rules like the filibuster? I'm almost certain that most people do not want one party to be able to push through, jam through legislation in a partisan fashion. That's why the filibuster exists. And it's been, Joe Biden was right about one thing. It used to be where you you had to actually go up there and filibuster. You had to actually go up there and talk and talk and talk, read, read green eggs in a hand like Ted Cruz did, do whatever. But you had to go up there and you had to talk 24 seven. That was the filibuster. But now it was almost like in baseball where they say, yeah, you don't have to throw the four balls to intentionally walk somebody. You can just say, yeah, we want to walk him. You can do that with the filibuster now. You say, yeah, we're going to filibuster. We're not actually going to filibuster. We're just going to invoke the filibuster. And now we got to, we're a stalemate. We got to, we got to figure it out. We got to get the votes. 
The, the whole point was for to encourage uh, to actually force these guys to work together and get a consensus to get the 60 votes to override a filibuster or to get the legislation through. That's what you had to have. So it, the filibuster whole, the whole thing, that should not have let off the deal about the filibuster. Number one, Joe Biden has nothing to do with it. He's not in the Senate anymore. It's a Senate rule. You know, leave that to Chuck Schumer and to Mitch McConnell and the like. So it, it just became a, uh, a, a talking point, a political talking point to sneak in there surreptitiously to plant that seed and to get people thinking about that. Oh, Joe Biden should definitely put some pressure on those senators, who are the, the Democrat senators who don't want to eliminate the filibuster. And it, it, it went on forever, and there's so much to get to here. You know, the, he led off with his statement. Joe Biden did about the vaccinations for COVID-19. He put out this statement before that they had a goal of 100 million vaccinations in the first 100 days. Well, they blew by that goal on day 58. Blew right by it. Well, that means your goal was garbage. That's really what that means. Anytime you exceed a goal that quickly by that much, it means that you miscalculated the goal. All right? The target wasn't in the right place. All right? You were a... A 15-year-old playing eight and under soccer is what you were doing. You you miscalculated. That should not be celebrated. You were well on your way to that. That was a garbage goal to begin with. And he's like, oh, we have another goal, a new goal, 200 million in the first 100 days. Well, we went over the numbers earlier. You're already at 130 plus million. You're vaccinating two and a half plus million people a day. You know you're, you're setting the bar low. So you're setting yourself up for success. Garbage. Uh, schools open. Not there yet, he admitted. Uh, then the, the immigration stuff. You know, he, he just said a bunch of a bunch of mischaracterizations, if not outright lies, about what happened under President Trump. Uh, he was correct about the seasonal nature of immigration. <laughs> and we can go into a, a deep analysis of how we screwed up immigration by by uh, trying to, to to break that seasonal cycle. That's, that's probably a story for another time. But the the question, the way it was asked, was like, do you think people are coming here because they know you're a fine, decent, good guy? Oh, well, you know, it's, 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 I'd like to think it's because I'm a good guy. Oh, I, uh, maybe, hey, I, enough about how great I am. I want to know uh, what you think about how great I am. It's just, It was just painful to listen to some of these reporters. It wasn't until Cecilia Vega of ABC News actually said to him, hey, I was on the border, and a young boy from Honduras was there unaccompanied, and he had a phone number to his family on his wrist, and I called his mom. He said, yeah, she said that, uh, yeah, I sent him up there because uh, Joe Biden said he, he wouldn't send him home. He wouldn't send him back. He gets to he gets to stay because because Joe Biden said that he gets to stay. And that's not because Joe Biden is a nice guy. That's because Joe Biden won't enforce the law. So if you want to look at it as Joe Biden being a nice guy and Donald Trump being a bad guy, which is very easy to do, given what you're fed every day on the news. How about this? How about Donald Trump was willing to empower immigrations and customs enforcement and Border Patrol to do their jobs, whereas Joe Biden is really not interested in letting those guys do their jobs and enforcing the law. I mean, it just depends on how you want to couch these things. And and look, I mean, my main problem is not just the nature of the questions uh, being veiled commentary 
It's also, you know, Joe Biden's non-answers. You know, you, you get asked questions about tax cuts and he's like, oh, yeah, they benefited the wealthy. And well, no, those tax cuts benefited the middle class to a large degree. The same middle class you like to romanticize and talk about and unions like this is not a global economy. Like this is still, you know, 1955 where you go work for a factory for 40 years and you get a gold watch and a pension. Those things don't exist anymore. President Biden, they don't. The world is different. And let's not talk. Let's not even act like the economy was a problem before covid. The economy was not the problem. That was like the one thing that Donald Trump could hang his hat on. It was the lowest unemployment in 50 years. Wages were up. The economy was good. And there's there's no reason to think that after COVID and after the pandemic subsides and after we are past this, that it won't be good again. But not, not, not because of anything you're going to do. You're the one who's banning fracking and you're the one who is uh, uh, getting in the way of businesses going out and doing their business uh, through more regulation and higher taxes. I mean, so I just, I listen to him and he talks in these platitudes. Oh yeah, we want to, we want better for people. We want better. And I'm, Republicans, uh, they also want better for people. Like, who doesn't want better for people? I mean, who, who besides evil people? I mean, yeah, if there's evil guys with their like handlebar mustaches going, I want worse for people. Mm, I'm going to go tie a lady to a railroad tracks and demand her rent later. Yeah, those people, few and far between, they don't want better for people. They want better for themselves. But largely, people want better for other people. It's not, it's not a controversial or even profound thing to say. Yeah, I, would. I, want, I want better for people. I want middle class people, good people. I want to fight for the good people. It's just... Just a bunch of garbage. We waited two months for you just to go up and spew a bunch of garbage, Joe Biden. Well, the best way to get something done, if you if it holds near and dear to you that you uh, um, like to be able to. Anyway, I, I, we're going to get a lot done. Yeah, we're uh, that's what you elected. That's what you wanted. That's what you're going to get. Hopefully. Hopefully he'll wait two months between every news conference. That's or maybe three. If they're going to last three months, I mean, you can only do like two or three a year. All right. We will get more into the uh, the news conference here. Joe Biden we will put a bow on it. Uh, I'm going to get some accounts of of what was going on in the room. I'm going to do some research on that. I mean, listening to it and seeing it and actually being there are three very different accounts of what happened there. So I will do some research on that and we will uh, dig in a little bit deeper before we go here with nation of Jake in for Tony Katz on Tony Katz today. I can't confirm it. Maybe you can Ari castle. I can't confirm it, but I have a working theory that Tony Katz is not here today because he is with Ashton Kutcher Filming the reboot of Punked because I feel like I've been punked. Yeah, Tony calls me and says, "Hey, hey, I need you to fill in for me on Thursday because uh, you know there's I got some things to do and there's a Biden presser." He didn't. He, he was very evasive. He's like, "But but you know I really want to cover the Biden presser and I'm kind of mad that I can't." Kind of like a Tom Sawyer thing, you know. Uh, the painting the fence sure is fun, and so I agree. Sure, I'll fill in. I'll cover the Biden presser. Felt like I was kind of babysitting an old man, making sure he didn't go grab all the Hershey's chocolate and upset his diabetes. Uh, that said, 
I have to sit through this deal. And then Tony is over there on on Twitter, like he's got free time. And so I think that he and Ashton Kutcher are watching or listening to me somewhere laughing because I got roped in to covering the Joe Biden presser, which, by the way, if you did not hear it, it was painful, painfully, not only boring. I don't like to complain that politics is boring. I kind of like when politics is boring. Infuriating is what it was. You know, the the media for four years really gave to Donald Trump. I mean, they really gave it to him. They they were relentless. And you know what? I didn't complain too much about it because I think that the media should always be relentless, especially against someone in power like the president of the United States. No, they'll speak in truth to power thing. I mean, it's kind of like the media. Democracy dies in darkness. But instead, now it's almost like they're just kind of taken off. You know, literally, you know, two months go by and Joe Biden doesn't give a press conference. And when he does... All they do is go talk about what a great guy he is. And and also, hey, what about this filibuster thing? No, this is something that maybe you can't outwardly come out and say, but we definitely want to put it on the table for you, kind of serve it up for you. And there was there were very few questions uh that were relevant to today, to to what is really going on, the hot button issues people are talking about. They they covered uh, immigration, uh, but it was all it was couched as this whole deal with it. You're a great guy, so all these folks from uh, Central America and Mexico they feel like you're gonna treat them better than Trump did. Is that why they're coming? Is it pretty much is this your fault? But the way they they ask the questions, it, it gives him so many ways to kind of wiggle out, and then just to speak in platitudes. And I mean, it's just it's tiresome. Is what it is. So yeah, I think that uh, Tony did it on purpose. He's a scoundrel, uh, Tony Katz. He's, he's you know, say hey, Jake, fill in. It'll be fun. It'll be fun. They said that wasn't fun. It wasn't fun. It was necessary to hear. I mean, I think that it's always helpful to contrast and compare how the media will cover one president, especially when it's so fresh in our minds. How the adversarial relationship between, say, uh, Jim Acosta and uh, President Trump was. Uh, versus now the kind of kid gloves they're handling uh, Joe Biden with uh, during uh, the silver alert. I mean, news conference uh, that we we heard not long ago on Tony Katz today here. I've, I have to detox after that. I really do. I mean, it just I don't sit through a lot of those things. And when I hear them, it just reminds me of why I don't sit through a lot of those things. Now, this day and age, it's. You know, give me the highlights. Kind of let me let me let me spend my time doing the important things, like like myself talking about you know the news of the day. We we could have we could have covered a lot more ground solving the problems that face us uh, than than what Joe Biden had to offer. That said, we delivered as promised. President Joe Biden's news conference in all its glory. I did my job. I did what was asked of me. 